0: One down the runway, picking up speed Ground moving fast, underneath me The wheels come up off the ground High in the air where the birds abound Some fly fast and some fly slow On the Peter Porter Show Hi everyone, Captain Abel here And today I cannot welcome you to the Grand Mountain Air Base No, today I welcome you to the quiet mountain village of Galpones, Bolivia Nestled a bit west of Santa Cruz de la Sierra, and several hundred miles south of La Paz. You cannot understand America without understanding the Civil War. You cannot understand the Apostle Paul unless you understand the road to Damascus. Likewise, you cannot understand our pilot, Charlie Faith, unless you understand what happened in Bolivia. Bolivia was Charlie's Civil War. And so today, we travel back in time several years to a time shortly after Charlie was released as a pilot from the Air Force, A time when he flew for the Missionary Aviation Group, helping doctors, teachers, relief workers, preachers flying in and out of remote villages that would take many hours to reach by seasonal roads. And a short word of caution as well, as today's story deals briefly with death and saying goodbye to one you love. I hope you enjoy the story, not an action-packed adventure, but a search into a soul. And maybe we too will recognize and even appreciate this civil war in our own lives too. Mr. Worthington from the missions agency rolled a wheelchair into Charlie Faith's hospital room. Bruised and battered, Charlie lifted himself into it and began a silent roll out of the small hospital in Yapacani, Bolivia into a waiting jeep that belonged to Pastor Alvarez. Hola, Charlie, how are you doing? But Charlie would not respond, other than meeting the man's eyes with his own tear-filled hollow gaze. As the jeep began the drive to the mission school, there was so much the other two men desperately wanted to tell Charlie, but now was not the time. Now was the time to say goodbye. Few trucks, but mostly donkeys, filled the area that most closely resembled a parking lot. Fifty or so men and women stood around quietly talking to one another, wearing their Incan alpaca wool hats. Just beyond them were fifty school children from that school, wearing their white uniform shirts with slacks or dresses, and most of the twenty five children from the other school, the former school just south of Galpones in the mountains. And there, In the middle of all the crowd sat the box, lying beside a hole six feet long and six feet deep. We're here. A lump rose in Charlie's throat as he observed. Mr. Worthington came to help Charlie into the wheelchair, but Charlie retreated back into the safety of the jeep.
1: You can stay here, of course, if you want to, Charlie, but no one's going to... No one. People will, will be happy
0: to see that accused. you are all right, Charlie. Because of you, we're burying one person, and not, and not twenty-five. The compliment was true and sincere, though to Charlie it was just a spark. But small as that spark was, it gave him the strength he needed to climb out of the jeep and back into the waiting wheelchair. As he bumped along over the dirt and grass covered field to the spot outside of the school where they had selected to bury Miss Karen, Charlie could feel the weight of parents and children's Mm -hmm. eyes upon him. The pilot pilot who failed, the pilot 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 who killed Miss Karen Karen and nearly killed killed killed. 25 25 of their children. No, it wasn't true. Charlie prayed to get the thought out of his head. Finally, they stopped near the front of the assembly and set the brakes on the wheelchair. Funerals in Bolivia are not quick affairs, and especially when the service is for someone as loved by all as Miss Karen. Though most of it was in Spanish, except the part when Mr. Worthington shared, Charlie did his best to understand with the limited Spanish he possessed.
1: Miss Karen was born on May 1st, 1975, in Carson City, Nevada, in the United States, After teaching one year in America, she gave up the comforts of home to follow God's calling to be a teacher to the children of Bolivia, where she would spend the last six years of her
0: life. Mr. Worthington gave the eulogy and was translated by Pastor Alvarez to the people gathered around. At the end, the children sang a beautiful song that Miss Karen had taught them, followed by Pastor Alvarez singing a song Miss Karen loved so much. Y por eso los grandes amores de muchos colores me gustan a mí. Y por eso los grandes amores de muchos colores me gustan a mí. People hugged. People cried. Children cried. Hands patted Charlie on the back, squeezed his shoulder, said encouraging words to him in Spanish, and though he nodded his head in acknowledgment of their kind words, he met eyes with as few as possible, till one grandmother, who had studied English years earlier, knelt down directly in front of Charlie and looked deeply into his eyes. If you let the devil win and steal your joy, you dishonor everything Miss Karen stood for. God alone holds our lives in his hand, not you. Not the gorillas, the terrorists in the jungle. you say goodbye to her now. Don't take her from this place in the bitterness of your heart. This is where she wanted to be. For the first time since the accident, Charlie looked up, up into the heavens and the parting clouds that let the sun shine down on the miserable ones below. And in that moment, a ray of light shone into his heart, drying up the puddles of pain the doldrums of despair and guilt, and revealing his raw heart, torn and hurting. But with the grandmother's words, healing could begin. No sooner had she said those words than Charlie was lifting his bruised body to his feet. A gentleman nearby came to his side and served as a crutch for him as the pilot limped to the graveside and said goodbye. Goodbye to the woman who had died in his plane, but she was not the woman whom he had killed anymore. He said goodbye to the woman he loved, the woman he had plans of one day marrying. With help, he turned back towards the wheelchair and met eyes with Mr. Worthington, who could see that a change had happened from the broken man he picked up at the hospital that morning. A smile as wide as the Atlantic stretched from one side of the mission director's face to the other, and tears welled up in his eyes. Mr. Worthington had lost one of his finest teachers, and he was equally concerned that he was losing one of his finest pilots with her. But Charlie's story was just beginning a new chapter. The car ride from the funeral was entirely different and better than the ride there with great stories and memories being freely exchanged about Miss Karen. Finally they arrived at Charlie's apartment which the missionary agency had furnished for him for being their pilot. What do you plan on doing now Charlie? I don't know. How's Peter? Has anyone been to check out the damage?
1: A crash in the jungle and miles from the highway? Sometimes, when this happens, the plane will never be removed. Or if it's worth enough, we can hire a helicopter to try to pull it out.
0: What about the insurance? Will you get your money back?
1: Well, to be honest, Charlie, when you overloaded my plane, you voided my
0: insurance. And I'm glad you did it. Those kids would have been made slaves or forced to join the cartel armies. Maybe ransomed. Kids are worth a lot more than a plane but it's a big loss either way. It might be a, a year or even more until we can get enough money raised to replace it. So, I guess you don't need me anymore. I can use you uh, somewhere. We'll find a job for you uh, and put you to work. I can put in a good word for you with the Missionary Aviation Director back in the States. Someone with your credentials, even with a crash, I imagine they could use you in another part of the world. They always need pilots, it seems. Even more than airplanes. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to go and assess the damage, and uh, if there's a way, I wouldn't mind buying Peter if you'd let me. My
1: plane means a lot to you, doesn't it?
0: Yes, it does. We've been through a lot these last four years. Flying people to hospitals and flying in supplies, carrying folks in and out of villages, pastors, preachers, missionaries, teachers too. Be my guest, Charlie. Someone needs to see if that plane's worth salvaging. I couldn't have a better man than you check it out. You'll need someone to guide you to the crash. You were unconscious when they pulled you out. Javier Comende is a member of my church. He went with the rescue crew to find you guys. Uh, I'll ask him to take you there. Thanks, Pastor Alvarez. So Charlie loaded his truck and met Javier Comende to investigate the crash site. They followed the highway only about 50 kilometers from his apartment. Then they turned onto dirt and mud roads. Into the hills and mountains they went. Another hour, bouncing over uneven roads, until they came to a particular fork. Parate. Allá, señor. Javier motioned with his hand up on the side of a mountain. About a half mile above them, you could barely see the wings and rudder of a plane poking through the misty jungle canopy. Charlie parked his truck and took his backpack and machete to cut their way up to the crash site. Charlie had taken off from the dirt runway, just outside of a small village where a mission school had been established. A terrorist group had been making threats against the fledgling community, but Miss Karen and Mr. Worthington had decided to ignore them. They were only threats. Then, the call came to Charlie. The village was being burned. Guns were being fired, villagers were being beaten up. Get Miss Karen out of there. Of course, when Charlie landed, he could see black smoke rising into the skies just a few hundred yards away. Miss Karen didn't climb in until she safely loaded twenty-five students. I can't carry this many people. We're way overloaded. Charlie had warned her, but with approaching gunfire they quickly decided it was worth the risk not to be captured. Peter was an older porter with a piston engine, not a turboprop, and barely lifted off the ground. He was slowly climbing into the air as they approached the low-lying mountains that hemmed them in. The stall alarm went off, and Charlie found himself with two choices. Try an abrupt turn over the mountainside, or keep the wings level and hope for a miracle. The turn would have been disaster. Charlie hoped for the miracle, and 26 survivors may have been just that. The jungle was already growing over the path the rescuers had chopped when heading to the plain only a week earlier. Ten cuidado, señor. Hay muchas ranas y sapientes. Charlie didn't know much Spanish, but he knew all about the spiders and the snakes in the jungle. He proceeded with caution. This must have been very difficult last time. Javier stared questioningly at Charlie's English. Uh, muy difícil. La semana antes, ¿verdad? Ah, sí señor, muy difícil. Es fácil hoy. It had been very difficult the week before. Cutting a half mile long path uphill through virgin jungle had taken nearly two hours. This time it took only a half hour to reach Mr. Worthington's crashed plane. Charlie pulled a camera from his bag and began taking pictures of Peter. Then he climbed 15 feet up a tree to inspect the damage more thoroughly. For that was as close as Peter came to the ground. Well, the wing looks fine, fuselage seems to be straight. I'm going to try to climb around to the front. Alto, senor! Arriba, en el arbol! Charlie looked on the branch above him and saw the large green tree snake staring at him. He would not be the first man to die from that type's venomous bite, but one good swing with his machete, and the beheaded body fell to the jungle floor. A few feet further on the branch and for the first time Charlie could see the front of the plane his blood ran cold as he froze on the branch for a moment a shiver ran through him as he stared in spite at the thick tree branch that shattered through the windshield into the front passenger seat leaving only blood spatters where Miss Karen had so frequently sat the cowl and engine were mangled and torn halfway off but As Charlie looked closer, it appeared the firewall was undamaged, leaving engine bolts sheared off from the impact. An engine was nearly half the cost of the whole plane, but that might just make the salvage worth the effort. And as Charlie reckoned, if the plane were undamaged, he would never have enough money to buy it. This way, at least, he could have a chance of getting Peter flying again. One day. It took several thousand dollars just to hire the helicopter to pull Peter out of the jungle and drop him off at the airport in Santa Cruz de la Sierra. And even that was pulling strings with some of Charlie's aviation connections. With the rest of his savings from being in the Air Force, Charlie made a fair down payment on what was left of Peter and pay for the long-term hangar at the airport until repairs could be completed. With fond farewells, Charlie resigned from the missionary aviation group and began the new phase of his life, piecing Peter Porter back together, and at the same time, piecing his own life back together.
1: And Senor Faith, what flying experience do you have?
0: I flew KC-135 fuel tankers for the Air Force for three years. I'm helicopter certified. I've flown a Pilatus Porter out of the jungle for the last four years. ¿Eso espanol?
1: Puedo hablar un poco. Muy bien. You'll begin flying my meat plane tomorrow. A meat plane? Si. Esun DC-3
0: to carry meat from my slaughterhouses in the jungle to De La Sierra. And what covers the meat on board? Moscas. Moscas? Flies. So, Charlie began flying dirtbag pilot jobs in South America, and with every check he earned, he would buy new parts for Peter from different parts yards in Bolivia and throughout the surrounding countries first part he bought was a new passenger seat to replace the blood-spattered old one. But Charlie never discarded it. Instead, he sat it in the corner of his hangar, serving as a reminder. A monkey on his back he could not shake free. Buenos dias, Senor Faith. My cousin, Senor Caracci, says you've done a fine job flying his meat plane this last year. Thank you. I believe so. And you are jet certified, no? Absolutely. Very good. I have recently purchased a 1968 Learjet 25 to take me to the major food suppliers throughout South America. My cousin has agreed to let you fly me when you are not flying meat for him. And extra money, of course. Thank you, Senor Ribe. And so another year went by as Charlie saved every dollar possible, repairing old and worn parts on Peter, replacing severed fuel lines, broken pitot tube, installing new engine mounts, acquiring a new propeller, and even finding a new cowl in Peru from a porter that had crashed in a lake. Mr. Karachi was generous to lease out his DC-3 to Charlie to collect the parts he needed each time. He lived like a miser, eating the food that Mr. Aribe and Mr. Karachi's companies provided for him, sharing a small apartment with some World Vision workers in Santa Cruz de la Sierra. His work carried him away for days at a time, flying different jobs, and frequently when he returned to De La Sierra, he would sleep in his hangar, in the fuselage of Peter, working late into the night, servicing and adjusting cables and linkages, whatever it was he could afford to work on, all the while being watched by the blood-spattered chair that had gathered a coat of dust in the corner. I will miss you, Charlie. You have been a great pilot, the best I've ever had.
1: All I did was transport meat. You did much more than transport meat. Every pilot I've ever hired has stolen something from me or deceived me in some way. You were the first I've known to earn my trust.
0: Good luck with the airlines. They'll be happy to have you. And my plane is always yours to lease should you ever need it. And so, for the next two years, Charlie sat in the captain's chair for Erosur, a major Bolivian airlines, until one day in July, he spotted what he had been looking for, what he had been saving for. Sitting behind a hangar in Asuncion, Paraguay, was a porter with no wings, obviously being scrapped for parts with what looked like a perfect engine at the nose, and not a piston engine either, but this time a turboprop. During a short layover, Charlie hustled to the hangar to find the owner. Buenos tardes, mi hombre. your avión afuera? Yeah, that's my plane. Oh, you speak English? I grew up in California. You mind telling me about the plane? Sure. I'm parting it out. It belongs to the Missionary Aviation Group. The pilot who flew it had some holes shot in his tank and ran out of gas. Crashed it in the jungle about 100 kilometers from here. Tore the wings off, a uh, branch went through the window and killed him. I do work for them sometimes, so they contracted it to me for salvage. Well, my brother, I'm repairing a porter that I used to fly for the Missionary Aviation Group that I also crashed in the jungle, except I wasn't the one that was killed, you understand. All I need is an engine now. I did the rebuild on that one myself uh, about a year ago. I'd say it would go for more than 200 grand in the states, but down here not even half. And considering that you're an aviation group alumni, I'd be willing to sell it for. 75. You're joking. I already got 30 for avionics, fuel pump, batteries. If I get 70 more, that'll more than satisfy the owner, not to mention what I'll get for scrap. If I can get a DC 3 here next Friday, can you help me get the engine loaded? And so, with the permission from his old boss, Mr. Karachi, Charlie flew the DC-3 over to pick up the final missing piece for Peter. It seemed like half an eternity until Charlie had the time to get the engine attached, cowl attached, linkages attached, and finally fire the turboprop motor up. And with more patience, the day finally came. Up, Peter flew into the sky, the first time in four years first time since the crash in the jungle, and the scars that accident left on Charlie's heart were almost completely healed. There was just one scar that remained, and it would be taken care of the following month. Well, Charlie, you have been a great pilot for the airline,
1: and we will miss you. Here's your final paycheck, plus a little bonus for never missing a day of work. Thank you, senor. Tell me, Charlie, what are your plans when you get
0: back to the States? Airline work? No, I've fallen in love. And this woman does not want you to fly? No. It's my plane. I've been rebuilding. I think my plane would get jealous if I flew another.
1: (laughs) Well, if you ever need a
0: recommendation,
1: here's my personal number. You can call me, and I'll be happy to help.
0: This is Porter Peter Yankee Zulu requesting takeoff from runway 28. Is that you, Charlie? Roger, Colonel Gutierrez. Good luck on your trip back to the States. Adios. Thanks, Miguel. And so, with a full load of fuel, a duffel bag containing all of Charlie's worldly possessions, and one other piece of cargo, he began the long journey toward the U.S. He had flown only a short distance when he began a large circle over the mountains near Galpones. When he felt he had reached the right mountain ridge, he locked in the autopilot, opened the cargo door while flying and pushed one dust-covered, blood-spattered co-pilot's chair out into the jungle below. Goodbye, Karen. I'm sorry. And in that moment, the last scar on Charlie's heart was healed. It was three weeks, and an envelope full of cash later, when Charlie landed at the airport in San Antonio, Texas, for FAA certification of his plane. Another few months of barnstorming, visiting friends and family, flying different jobs across the country, and he finally replied to a job advertisement at the Grand Mountain Air Base.
1: Well, Mr. Faith, you've certainly got an impressive list of aircraft you're certified on and quite the log book of flight time, but do you have any
0: experience flying in the mountains? Charlie enlightened Colonel Pickles about the mountainous terrain he had navigated in and out of the jungles of Bolivia, including flying frequently out of the airport at La Paz at 13,000 feet, the highest international airport in the world.
1: Now, for different jobs, you'll be checked out on the aircraft here at the base. But do you have your own plane that you might want to use?
0: A smile spread across Charlie's face. He had found his new home. And now you know the Ebenezer. The Stone of Remembrance, the Civil War, in Charlie's life was none other than Peter Porter. This is Captain Abel saying farewell for now from the Grand Mountain Air Base, halfway between Upakataqua and Kalaroo. What Happened in Bolivia was written and performed by David Shorts. Peter Porter theme song was written by David and Holly Shorts. All other music today was provided by Kevin Good and is available from kevingoodmusic.com. Peter Porter is the intellectual property of David Shorts and is available from thesecondlevel.com.